We are in the book of Matthew, page 815, chapter 10, start at verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Francis Xavier was born in the early 1500s, and after being converted to Christianity as a young man, he dedicated his life to share the gospel throughout the world. At this moment, Christianity was just really contained to Europe, some parts of um, South America, Central America, uh, but it had never pushed east. And so it was by him that Christianity first came to Japan in the mid-1500s. It was an incredibly difficult mission because the culture and worldview of Japan was so incredibly different than that of the Bible. And these missionaries like Francis Xavier were viewed with incredible suspicion by the, by the Japanese ruling classes, but they were tolerated. And these missionaries would travel from town to town preaching the gospel. And, and when a family heard and responded, they would go live with that family that welcomed them. And they would stay with them for weeks and months and even years. They would spend their time teaching them about sin, God's justice, Jesus, the cross, Forgiveness of sins, trusting in Christ for your forgiveness. Um, they would look at the current uh, worldview, the current religion of the people of Japan and try to see where God was already at work there and draw parallels to, to how God had built the foundation in their religion. But yet that religion was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This long, arduous task of learning a new language, learning a new culture, learning a, a new religion to connect the dots for them. And when the Japanese, when some Japanese people were con converted, it was these indigenous Japanese Christians that would then take this message out of their homes to their neighbors, to their families, to their rulers. And it was in this way that the church in Japan grew to about 100,000 people. That was until the early 1600s. When the, when the shogun, who was, if you will, the king of uh, Japan, decided that Christianity was too disruptive to the Japanese way of life. So it was outlawed. Anyone practicing Christianity was killed. And every foreign missionary was expelled on pain of death if they returned. And that was the way it was from the mid-1600s all the way until 1871. Well, as many of you know, this fall, we as a church are, are uh, looking at what is it, what is a disciple's call? 
What are, what are we called to, to do as disciples of Jesus Christ for this lost world? What does Jesus ask of us and how are we to do it? And our God in this is Matthew 10, because it gives us the answers to these two key questions. And, and today we are, uh, we've sort of, you know, gone painfully slow through some of these verses because they're so rich. But uh, today we're going to look at Matthew 10, 15. And the story of St. Francis uh, of, of um, Xavier gives us a vision of why and how disciples are called to love the world. So let's dive right into to our scripture. Verse 11, this will be our key text for the day. What do we have here? Follow along with me. If you've got your Bibles, once again, that's page 115 of your pew Bibles. If you've got your own, that's, of course, Matthew 10, uh, verse 11. Look at what Jesus instructs his disciples here. And whenever you enter a town or village, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And whenever... Uh, and uh, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Now, of course, when you first read this, what grabs you out of this is this one word. Worthy. What does that mean? What does this instruction mean? Right. And at first reading, when we kind of understand that word through our culture and through our experience, our temptation is to, is to define this word worthy as a measure of someone's character, right? Specifically, moral character. If someone has good moral character, they are worthy and they have earned the right to have Jesus's messengers, God's messengers, visit them, right? It's a reward. But is that what Jesus really means by the word worthy? Let's look at the context. Let's go back to verse 6. We touched on that two weeks ago. Rob did. And who does Jesus look at? Look above verse 11. Look at verse 6. What does it say? Where does Jesus tell the disciples to go? Does he tell them to go to the morally upright? No, he says go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here the, the lost sheep. And that totally changes our understanding of the definition of the word worthy here. You see, the worthy ones of which Jesus speaks are the ones who are willing to welcome the disciples and listen to them. Yes, but why? Because those who fit this definition of worthy are sinners who are hungry for a word of forgiveness. The great irony of this, the beautiful irony of the scriptures is that the ones who are worthy are actually those with bad moral character are actually the ones who are the reverse of how we define worthy. The worthy ones were the need, were the ones who were so lost and desperate and convicted of their sins that they were hungry and thirsty for forgiveness. And of course, later we hear um, in, this, in this passage how Jesus says that those who are not worthy and I'll go into what the, what the imagery is, is there. But of course, what that means is the ones that aren't worthy are the morally upright ones. Now, not that being morally upright is bad in itself, 
where that becomes bad is when we believe that God loves us, God accepts us, we have secured our place in heaven with him because we think we're good people, because we work hard, because we try our hardest. But they're unworthy of the gospel. Not that God doesn't want to share it with them. In fact, probably one of the most difficult parts of this passage I'm glad we sort of have this skull hanging up over here, sort of staring out at us, right? Is we've got this incredibly intense language. I can't believe Jesus would say these things, right? This isn't the Jesus I've heard of. Don't even shake off the dust off your sandals. I truly, I say to, to you, those who do not accept you and my message, which is the gospel of the kingdom, the forgiveness of sins. Truly, I say to you, be more bearable for them on the day of judgment than the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. And of course, if you sort of, those are two sort of, uh, were, those are two stories in uh, Genesis that later became an idiom for the absolute height of sin and uh, debauchery and failure. And God suspended time and space and executed justice on just those two. Cities and, and so for the whole history of Israel, the uh, Jewish people, they uh, use it as an idiom for the worst of the worst. But you see, why is Jesus telling the disciples this? Well, to motivate them. Yes, of course, these are real pe people. But why this thing of shaking the dust off to people that don't accept this message of forgiveness of sins in Christ alone, that one only only gets with to be with God, to be in his family? If you repent and trust in him. Well, what Jesus is doing is he's, is he's pulling a, a chapter um, out of the Old Testament here. When uh, Jewish people would travel abroad, they, of course, uh, saw their homeland as pure. They saw Israel as pure land, good land, holy land. Anyone else, any other dirt outside of, of Israel was, would make you unclean. It would make you ritually impure. And so what you would do before you came back into Israel to make yourself ritually clean is you'd literally take off your shoes and shake out this infected, dirty Gentile dirt. And so what Jesus is instructing his disciples to do is something incredibly provocative. Is he's telling them that, 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 that those who believe that they're so good morally that they don't need the forgiveness of Christ, those who, who uh, believe that they're saved because they're Jews, by taking off your sandals and shaking the dust from them, you are making a statement to those people that they are incredible danger. That from God's perspective, they aren't saved. They are unclean. They're unworthy to be in God's presence unless they accept the message of the Savior. And so actually, as opposed to doing something where it seems like we're condemning them to, to eternal hell, is that, what the, is that what Jesus is saying? That by shaking the dust off your feet, you're now condemned forever and there's no hope? Of course not. But he loves them enough to give them an incredibly stern warning. And it's only those who are in need of salvation, in need of forgiveness that they cannot win. It's only those that are truly God's people. For extra credit here, maybe double, 
double jeopardy. Um, does anybody know who the first Japanese person converted to a, to a Christianity was? Anybody? Anybody? If someone did, that would freak me out more, just so you know. His name was Anjiro. Anjiro. And Francis Xavier met him in China. Um, and he was, and Anjiro was in China because he was actually exiled from Japan. He was a nobleman, he was a samurai, he was wealthy, he was part of the Japanese ruling class. But he was exiled because he was a murderer. And Japanese culture was a shame culture, is a shame culture actually. And if you failed, you became an outlaw, you lost the right to live. And any self-respecting Japanese samurai member of the ruling class, when they had sinned in this way, when they had failed, would have done the respectful thing and stood up and killed themselves. But, in, but Injiro was so weak in his spirit that he fled. He ran away. He went and hid in China. His whole and, and before he met Francis Xavier, his whole worldview was that only the good and upright deserve God's blessing. There was no grace, there was no forgiveness. And then he met Francis Xavier. Can you imagine how good the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ sounded to him? His entire country had thrown him out, had said that he was unlovable, untouchable. And Jiro's own words were that his heart lit up when he confessed and, and was forgiven by, by Jesus. The first worthy Japanese person to hear the gospel was a sinner of sinners. Well, we're ambassadors of Christ for forgiving love. Where we live, work, play, and learn, right? And I've heard so many stories from you, and I have plenty of my own, of how we try to be like Francis Xavier, right? We try to do this. We try to share the gospel. But we feel like with some people, we're hitting a brick wall. And the wisdom here for us is that we are definitely to go around and share Jesus with those. Anyone who wishes to engage and discuss this message of, of forgiveness to all people. But we will meet those who are hardened by this message because they believe that they don't need it. I'm fine. I'm good. God and I are great. Of course. We don't seek to give up on them. We don't disregard them. We don't abandon them as God's con con condemned. But there are times where we know that this door is slammed shut for right now. What does the scripture tell us to, to, to do? Move on. Are we consigning them to hell? Of course not. Have we given up on them? Of course not. We continue to pray for them. We continue to love them. We continue to be part of their lives. But we look for others that need to hear this good news that God loves them and forgives them. 
So if that's you, if you feel yourself trapped in that place, do you move on? Have you hit a brick wall? The answer is love them, but continue to go out and see who else needs to hear this good news. But of course, there's another part of verse 11 that we want to look at. Not only should we look for worthy people, those sinners just like us who are in need of a message of, of forgiveness. But we need to stay there, stay with them until we feel the spirit calling us to move on, to depart. Well, why would Jesus say this? Right. Why not just come in, hit and quit, move on. Lots of folks. Right. Well, there are a host of reasons. Some of it is sort of a Middle Eastern hospitality thing. But I think that there's also a much deeper reason, a much deeper wisdom here. And I believe that, it, that, that what Christ is realizing, what Christ is telling his disciples is that this is the best way to convert and disciple those who are interested in Christ. A prolonged stay in one welcoming household would allow relationships to grow, conversations to, to a deepen, trust to build. And over time, as one or two disciples share the gospel with one household, when the disciples left that town or village, there would be this one household in love with Jesus Christ, versed in the basics of the faith. And by them, these teachings can continue to spread throughout the village, throughout the area. What incredible witnesses these would, would be to their community. So much better than, than the disciples who didn't know them. They're, these people are known there. They have relationships with these people already that, that they can build on. Their testimony would be so much more credible. And of course, in the, in the opening story, we saw this is exactly what Francis Xavier and those who followed him did. They went from home to home and just invested in one family. One of the key aspects of why Japanese people would con convert is not only did they have a, a, a high regard for uh, the substance of the faith, was it consistent internally and was it well thought, thought through, but they watched the missionaries very closely. Did their behavior match that of what they preached? Now, that's a sermon topic for, for a, a different time. But essentially, what convinced so many Japanese that Christ was truly the Savior of the world is these missionaries would tell their own stories of God's grace and forgiveness, and they watched how the disciples lived it out. You can only do that if you're in relationship with someone through a, a set period of time. And when Christianity was outlawed in the mid-1600s, with very, very little international assistance, it continued generation to generation. It grew slowly for 300 years. Why? Because one converted Japanese household would share the gospel with those that they trusted. And they would pass it down and they would quietly share it. Amongst the peasant classes especially. And that is how the gospel rooted in people's hearts. Once again, in my conversations with many of you, and again, honestly, this is true for, for me as well. There's this guilt, right? There's this feeling that if I'm not out 
And if I don't have my um, hand on five different non-Christians, if I'm not spinning five different people's plates at one time, then I'm failing. Hamilton, after three years of working on this, there's just one person at work that I can finally talk to. I feel like such a failure. Hamilton, the only people that I have any kind of relationship with that I can share this with them are my children or my grandchildren. And yes, I tell them that Jesus loves them and I share my story. But gosh, it's just so many years of work and this is all I've got to show for it. If that's you, like it's me, to that, we say praise God. Again, you've heard this story many times from me, but I never, I never grow old of, of telling it. My grandmother that died almost two years ago, or over two, two years ago, spent the majority of her time on her three, three children, worked for one, as far as we know. Three grandchildren. Two great-grandchildren, probably four, but two that, that we know of. And through just simple, daily, day in, day out, speaking, sharing, loving. Five converts in a St. Thomas's church. That's the fruit of her small ministry. That's how disciples are made. Be encouraged. Last thing. Lots of instruction here, but there's more here for us. There's some good news here for us. We have to ask the question, why is Jesus telling the disciples and us to disciple in this way, right? This find the worthy person and just spend time with them. Why this methodology? Well, yes, Jesus is fully God, as well as fully man, so he's a wise person, right? But I think more importantly for us here, this is how Jesus does it. And not just with them in the first century, with us. Jesus Christ himself came seeking out the worthy ones, the lost sheep, the sinners, the failures, the ones who are starving and thirsting for, for forgiveness, the, the ones who have been overwhelmed by the failures of their own lives and they are absolutely ashamed. In short, every single person in this room. He came to me. Unworthy by any standard except Jesus's. And he came to you. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He barged into our lives, beat on the door of our hearts, gave us the grace to let him in. Why? Because he loves us too much to let us die. He loves us too much to not have us drawn deep into his very heart every moment. And so he was the one that came into the village and home of our lives and hearts and made us his own. But likewise, he just didn't come, share a few words and move on. He literally moves in with us, but not for a season, not for a time, forever. 
You see, Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit, he's his own separate person from the Trinity. If you've got Trinitarian questions, we all do. I'll be happy to answer them later, okay? But hang with me here, okay? But, it's, but the Spirit of Christ, right, is shoved into our hearts, into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is literally so close to us. He is filling us. He is in us. He literally comes and takes up residence side by side with us, in us. And when he sees how unclean we are, he does not move on to a better place, but he stays right there. He lets his peace rest upon us. No longer are we at war with God, but by the cross of Christ, we are now fully integrated members of God's family. We are under his care, his protection, and nothing, not even our own sin, our own rebellion, our own foolishness can ever take us away from him. Let me close with this. This sermon was mainly an instructional one, right? Mainly a sermon for those of us who call Christ Lord, call ourselves Christians. But one of the things I love about this, this church is there are always some of us here who aren't ready to be there yet. And that's fine. You're curious. You have questions. You have doubts. You're skeptical. Maybe you have fears. What's, how's this going to change me? If that's you... Know that you're welcome here. And this good news of forgiveness that we've heard, this heart that we've seen in Xavier, this heart that we've seen in the first disciples, this heart that we've seen of Christ. It's not just for the Japanese. It's for you. Jesus welcomes those who are unworthy by the world standards. So if you walked in here in shame and embarrassment, how could I come into church when I've done all this, when I've thought all this? The good news that we have for you is that here, that makes you worthy to be in this room. Welcome to the club of fools. And this is good news for us sinners. Amen.